If you have your Bible, uh, then we're going to be in Genesis chapter 22. Uh, Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one close to you in the pew, and the scripture will also be on the screen. Genesis 22, uh, 1 through 14. And we're in a season as a church of preparation and expectation. Preparation and expectation for God to do what only uh, he can do. And we are expressing our preparation and our expectation in three main ways. Uh, The first way that we're expressing preparation and expectation is through repentance. Uh, Mighty moves of God all throughout history have started uh, when God's people are convicted and broken by their sin and turn to him in repentance and on dependence, independence on him. The very first of uh, Martin Luther's 95 theses, this document that uh, began the Protestant Reformation, the tradition in which we stand uh, as a church, the very first point in this document was, was this. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, He willed the entire lives of believers to be one of repentance. So for the ways that we have relied on ourselves instead of the Lord, for how we have expected so little of the sovereign king of the universe who is all-powerful, for the ways that we have made church about us and about our comfort and about our agenda rather than about the Lord and his glory and the neighbors that he has called us to serve among our many other sins, we are practicing daily repentance. The second way that we're expressing preparation and expectation is through meditation. What we need most, not only in this season, but all the time, what we need most is God. And we want to know God. And so we are seeking to know him more by meditating on the names that he has given us in Scripture that represent his being and reveal his character and rescue his people. And so far we have looked at the name Elohim, the transcendent personal creator of the universe who deserves my worship. We've looked at Yahweh, the self-existent, unchanging, faithful God who deserves my trust. Adonai, the Lord who rules over everything that is, owns everything that I have, provides everything that I need and demands everything that I am and deserves it as well. And then last week we looked at El Shaddai, God Almighty, who is able to reach me where I am, who's able to to rewrite my story, is able to redeem me a sinner forever. Repentance and meditation. And lastly, we're expressing preparation and expectation through prayer. Responding to who God is and what God has done We have been focused on asking the Lord in prayer to do for us and in us and through us what only God can do. To hallow his name, to to honor his name, to make his name famous through us in all of the world, particularly among our neighbors who do not yet know him. 
to, to do his will in us and through us as a church, as his will is done in heaven. To extend his kingdom, to provide for our needs, physical and material, to, to forgive our sins, to protect us from the evil one and from our flesh. We've given you opportunities for prayer. Uh, we have two more Fridays uh, on which we will meet uh, between 6 and 8 a.m. So come when you can and, and leave when you must. But our sanctuary is open on Fridays for you to come and to just spend some time in focused prayer to the Lord for yourself, for those in your life, but especially uh, for our church. Also Wednesday evenings for the last uh, three weeks, our focus has been prayer. We have one more of those uh, Wednesday evenings at midweek. 6 p.m. Uh, because it's getting darker earlier and because it, it's going to be cold, uh, we're going to be meeting in uh, our Family Life Center gym. Uh, but just bring your own supper and then we spend some time together. Kids go to uh, their discipleship program. Students do the same. Uh, and then adults uh, spend some time together in prayer for one another and for our church. So you can do that. Uh, and then also uh, between our worship services. So we have a worship service at 9 and we have one at uh, 10.30. And I have a couple that meets with me faithfully every Sunday that they are uh, here in town. They're out of town today. But uh, we'd love to have you also uh, join with us between worship services around 10.15 to just pray for uh, God's people, both those who have gathered earlier for worship and those who will be gathering uh, for worship at 10.30. And I'm excited and expectant as we head toward Advent and as we look to the next name in our study. So the next name that we're going to be talking about today is Yahweh Yira. You might have heard it pronounced Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. And in this series, we have talked a good bit about uh, Father Abraham and Mother Sarah who were not parents when the Lord promised them that he would give to them a child and who were her very advanced in age when the Lord fulfilled his promise, miraculously giving them a son. And they named their son Isaac, son of laughter as Sarah, just enjoying and delighting in the miracle that God has done, says God has given, has made laughter for me. And we can only imagine, after all of that waiting, in the early part of their life, hoping that God would provide a child and hearing the promise of God many years before that promise was fulfilled. And, and now it's here and Isaac is here. And we can only imagine how Isaac was his parents' pride and joy and how much they delighted in him as the child of promise and as their child. Which probably made what we're about to read seem impossible. So uh, if you would, if you're able, please stand with me in honor of God's word. And we're going to read Genesis 22, 1 through 14. This is the word of God. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. 
On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they had come to the place which God told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. When Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And, God, and Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's thank the Lord for his word. O Lord our God, we praise you and thank you for your word and ask, Lord, that it would do its work in us now. You would use your word to expose us before you, Lord, to convict us, to break our hearts over our sin, but then to be the balm of Gilead to us, Lord, as we look to the gospel, knowing that there is no salvation in the law, but there is salvation in Christ who fulfilled and satisfied the righteous requirement of the law for us, that in him we have every provision that we will ever need. And so, Lord, as we consider this story, this account of Abraham and Isaac, we ask that you would help us to see Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, wrote a book in the New Testament. It's named after him, the book of James. And it's toward the end of the New Testament, and he, but, but it is one of the first books of the New Testament that was written. And he begins his book this way. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete. Lacking nothing. I don't know about you, but I find it very difficult to count it all joy when I face trials. I don't like the discomfort that trials bring. I don't like how my faith is tested by my trials and how so often my faith is found wanting. I don't like experiencing opposition or feeling like my my life is out of my control, even though that's true 100% of the time. 
But I have to say that it has been in times of trial. It has been in times of difficulty. It has been in times of struggle that, by God's grace, I have seen the most growth in my life and in my faith. It has been in the midst of dark times and moments that I have seen, even when it seemed just enough, but it is there in those times that I have seen God's provision for me to make it. But also, I have to be honest that I have never faced the kind of trial that we see Abraham face in this passage. Can you imagine Abraham finally has the long-awaited fulfillment of God's promise. And it's in the person of this child that he loves and delights in. And the Lord says to him, take your son Isaac and kill him. Offer him as a burnt offering to me, as a a sacrifice. I've never had the Lord ask of me something so significant and so terrible. Now, perhaps some of you have, and if you have, then my heart breaks for you as it does for Abraham in this moment. I don't, I don't know that we can fully grasp Abraham's experience of the Lord asking him to do this, but I know that as the father of four children whom I love more than my own life, I cannot imagine how I would respond to the Lord if he asked me to harm them. The good news is that what we see in this historical account is that Abraham doesn't have to harm Isaac or offer him as a sacrifice. Why? Because Yahweh Yira, Jehovah Jireh, provides everything for our good. Yahweh Yira provides everything for our good. In this passage in particular, we see that the Lord provides at least three things. The first is this, Yahweh Yira provides the test we need. Yahweh Yira provides the test that we need. It is hard to see a test as a provision. I remember being a student in school, and I remember the the horror of the moment when my instructor would say, all right, class, pop quiz, get out a sheet of paper. Perhaps even hearing me say that, you're experiencing PTSD from middle school or high school and having to have a pop quiz. And I just remember the groaning of the class, and I remember how your heart starts to beat faster and your palms get real sweaty because, you know, you probably didn't do all the reading from the previous night, and you're about to be tested. And it doesn't feel like a provision. It feels like your teacher is being unfair and possibly even mean. But you know what? A few years after I was a student, I became the teacher. And I was a ninth grade teacher in a public school, and I found myself saying those same words. All right, class, get out a sheet of paper, pop quiz. And I can honestly say to you that in telling my students as they would groan and they would have those same feelings and expectations that I had, that my intent was not to be unfair to them. And my intent was was not to be mean to them most of the time. 
My intent was almost exclusively for their good. I wanted them to be prepared for life. I wanted them to do the reading. I wanted them to develop good habits. I wanted them to expect the unexpected. I wanted what was best for them. And what was best for them required that they be tested. So I provided the test that they needed. And essentially here, God says to Abraham, pop quiz. But the stakes for this test are unimaginable. This isn't you're going to get a grade that you're going to have to show your parents and they're going to be unhappy with you. The stakes were the very thing that means the most to Abraham in all the world. His only son. The scriptures tell us his son, his only son, whom he loves. And the test provided by God is to sacrifice him. Unimaginable. I would ask you, where have you been tested? Where are you being tested? We don't tend to see our trials as provision from the Lord. So often we experience our trials as affliction or as attack. Sometimes I really think our disposition toward the Lord is the expectation that, that He is getting us, that He is after us, that He is being mean or unfair to us. Affliction or attack, but not provision. The Hebrews chapter 12 Verses 5 through 9 speak to this reality that when the Lord allows a trial in our life, when the Lord brings us to a test, when the Lord does things that are difficult for us in this life, He's doing it because we need it. He's doing it because it's for our good. He's doing it to provide for us. The Lord provides the test we need. Hebrews 12, starting in verse 5. My son... Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom His Father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. The provision of this test was God's love for Abraham expressed in an unimaginable test that was ultimately for Abraham's gain. The truth is that Abraham needed this. Now, the Scriptures doesn't tell us particularly why Abraham needed this. Was it because Isaac had become an idol for him? Was it because... He was struggling with his faith and his following of the Lord where he told him to go. We, we don't know, but what we do know is that Abraham needed this because you and I have never experienced a trial in our lives that was unnecessary, and Abraham didn't either. Now, one important question for us to ask in light of the fact that God provides the trial that we need is when we're going through a trial, what does God mean for me to gain 
through this. God brought Abraham to this trial because he was going to gain something incredible. A promise that went beyond the promise of a son to the promise of redemption. What does God mean for me to gain through this trial? He provided it. So it must be necessary. It must be necessary for my good. It must be necessary for his glory. He is treating me as a son or as a daughter. Yahweh Yira provides the test we need. And so, brothers and sisters, when we come to the hour of trial, when we face tests in our lives, we need to see them not as attack, not as assault, not as God being unfair or mean to us, but God being a loving Father who provides exactly what we need, including tests that are for our good and for our gain. Yahweh Yira provides the test we need. The second thing that we see in this passage is that Yahweh Yira provides the faith we need. Yahweh Yira provides the faith that we need. We see Abraham immediately obey the Lord. It's amazing. The Lord says, Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and offer him as a sacrifice, as a burnt offering. And Abraham immediately, the next morning, gets up and he loads the donkey and he says, let's go. How? How does Abraham immediately obey the Lord? The answer is faith. Because faith in action is obedience. Faith in action is believing what the Lord says and doing it. Now, Abraham had to be in the middle of a theological crisis. On the one hand, Abraham had the promise of God. God has said to Abraham, Abraham, you're mine, and I'm going to be a God to you and to your offspring after you. From you are going to come a great, from you is going to come a great nation, and in you all the families of the earth are going to be blessed, and it's all going to happen through the child of promise, your son Isaac. And so he's got God's perfect promise, and he sees the embodiment of it in his precious son. On the one hand, he's got God's promise that he knows, or at least believes, will not fail. On the other hand, he has God's command. Take the child of promise and offer him as a sacrifice to me. And when, when we go through trials, when we go through tests, I think we find ourselves in a similar theological crisis often. Lord, you promise to provide all of my needs according to your riches in glory, but I am not seeing your provision here. Lord, you, you promise to work all things for my good, and yet here I am in the midst of this trial, in the midst of this valley. Where are you? Where is your provision? How can both the promise and the trial coexist? And that is exactly where faith lives. Faith lives between God's promise and God's provision. Faith lives between God's promise and God's provision. Abraham trusts the Lord, so he obeys the Lord. Verses 7 and 8 are key to understanding what is going on here. 
And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. Faith is supernatural. There is no other explanation for Abraham responding the way that he does to God's command. No earthly father in his right mind could receive a command like this and take it this far unless God had provided to him the gift of faith. Faith is supernatural. It doesn't come from us. We don't produce faith. Faith is a gift that comes only from God. Hebrews 11, chapter 1, Hebrews is right before James in the New Testament. It it gives us kind of a, a definition of faith. It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, right? Between promise and provision. It's the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. How did Abraham have assurance of things hoped for, conviction of things not seen? Hebrews 11 continues in in verse 17, by faith. Abraham when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he, received, he who received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Last week we talked about El Shaddai. God Almighty, who is able to do anything. And Abraham believed that God was El Shaddai. He believed that God could even be able to raise the dead. He believed that God was Yahweh, the keeper of the promise, and that his covenant would stand. Yahweh Yira has provided and will provide the faith that you need in the hour of trial. We know it because he did it for Abraham. But we also know it because in the New Testament, God's word says, for it is by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Faith is not a work. It's not something that we produce. It is something that God gives to us purely by his free grace. He provided it for Abraham in the midst of the most intense trial of his life. And brothers and sisters, because God has provided for you grace and faith for salvation, there is no reason that you should ever doubt that in your hour of trial, the Lord will provide for you the faith that you need to persevere. Amen? Yahweh Yira provides the tests that we need. 
He provides the faith that we need, but most importantly and most beautifully, what we see in this text is that Yahweh Yira provides the substitute that we need. Yahweh Yira provides the substitute that we need. A child sacrifice, human sacrifice is not something that was foreign to Abraham. The cultures and tribes and, and people around him at least some of them regularly practiced human sacrifice and even child sacrifice as an act of worship, an act of devotion, a hope for atonement among pagan peoples offered to false gods. That these ancient peoples recognized because Romans 1 tells us that, that everybody knows that there is a God, that his divine power and that his eternal nature have been seen in the things that are created, but because we in sin suppress the knowledge of God, we suppress the truth, we exchange the truth about God for a lie so that we don't have to acknowledge or worship or thank him as God, we try to go our own way, and yet there's the reality of guilt and shame because there's the reality of sin in our lives and we recognize that somehow, some way, we are in darkness, that there is something or someone that we are accountable to and that we need atonement. And so to appease their false notions of gods, whether they were demonic beings or something that they made up in their imaginations, these people would tragically in utter spiritual darkness, sacrifice one another. Because they had a sense that apart from the shedding of blood, there would be no atonement. There would be no forgiveness of their sins. They didn't know the living and true God. The difference between that kind of sacrifice to those false gods is that Yahweh is the one true and living God. And part of what he is establishing here with Abraham is that he is not like the false gods of the nations. Even though the wages of sin is death, even though the shedding of blood is required for the forgiveness of sins, Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would never, never demand human sacrifice from his people. Instead, he would provide a substitute. Isaac's question is powerful, and it is the question of history. Isaac, like every person who has ever lived, was a sinner who deserved God's condemnation, deserved physical death and eternal hell. And he realized that, you know, if he went with his father, he obeyed his father. He asked about the lamb, but when it came down to it, he climbed up onto the altar and allowed his dad to tie him down and to raise the knife. The truth is, is that all of us, Isaac included, recognize that when we stand before a holy God, we have nothing to offer but our sin, and we don't deserve anything but his condemnation, death and hell forever. But Isaac had a question. Where is the lamb? You know, it was the same question that God's people who were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years also asked. The Lord was bringing judgment on 
the nation of Egypt that had oppressed them. But you know what? Israel was just as sinful as Egypt. They may have been the oppressed people and not the oppressors, but they were still sinful and they were still deserving of God's judgment. But when God came to judge the land of Egypt, he told his people, I want you to kill a lamb, a spotless lamb, and I want you to place the the blood on your doorposts. And so when I bring judgment, I will pass over your homes. Where is the lamb? And the Lord said, here, I've provided a substitute. You won't be judged. The lamb died instead of you. And then later, as God gives his people the law and he invites them into uh, his worship and he, he gives to them the tabernacle and then later a permanent building, the temple, the question remains, these are a sinful people before a holy God. They are in need of atonement. They're in need of forgiveness. They're in need of reconciliation. How can they gather for worship before a holy God? Where is the lamb? And the Lord provides an entire sacrificial system proclaiming to them again and again, That yes, the wages of sin is death. Yes, blood must be shed for forgiveness, but I am providing a substitute. And the animals will die instead of you. This was a promise. And it was pointing forward to something. Here in this account, God provides the ram in the thicket as a substitute for Isaac. And God says to Abraham, now I know that you fear God seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, whom you love from me. And brothers and sisters, this this moment in history was not just a test for Abraham's benefit. This was for our benefit as well. This was a restatement of God's promise to provide a substitute for his people. Way back at the fall in Genesis 3.15, as the Lord is giving the consequences to humanity for their rebellion against him, he curses the earth and the the man and the woman, and then he gets to the serpent, the enemy of God and the enemy of his people. And he tells the serpent that one day the offspring of the woman, though the serpent is going to bruise his heel, he is going to crush your head. And this is a restatement of the promise that God is going to provide a substitute for his people. Yes, his heel will be bruised, but he will defeat evil and Satan and sin forever. Where is the lamb? And God's answer, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God has provided for his people a substitute. He provided a ram in a thicket as a substitute for Isaac so that Isaac would not have to die. And so also the Lord has provided for us a substitute a full and final substitute. So there is no longer a sacrificial system. There is one Lamb of God who takes away all of our sin once and for all. The Lord Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, though he was with God in the beginning and was God in the beginning, though all things were made through him and for him, he became one of us and was fully God and fully man so that he might be a perfect substitute for his people so he could live a fully human life and to do so in perfect righteousness so that he could offer to us a record that we never could have earned. Our record of failure was replaced by his record of perfect righteousness. And he went to the cross as the substitute for us. And it was at the cross that he took 
our sin, the, the Scriptures tell us that God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God, that He bore our sins in His body on the tree and that Jesus there died, not just a, a, a terrible physical death, but that He endured the just wrath of God against our sins so that the Scriptures could proclaim to us, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead in victory over sin and Satan and death forever. And it is this Jesus Christ of whom he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his only son, the son whom he loved, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. And so if you are Christ's today, then provision has been made for you once and for all in him. And if today you are not Christ's, then as we begin to, to share together this meal that the Lord has provided and prepared for us, our, our request of you would be to not, not partake. And the reason we ask that is, is out of respect and love for you. We want to honor you by also honoring God's word and, and, and telling you that God's word says very clearly that those who eat, apart, eat and drink apart from faith in Christ or in open rebellion uh, against the Lord, eat and drink condemnation on themselves. And our desire for you today is in no way that you would receive condemnation, but that you would find salvation and you would pro find provision in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so rather than take the element, we ask today that you would take the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. But if you are his, then his invitation is to come to this table where we remember and proclaim and partake of his broken body and shed blood for us. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing on our time together around his table. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Uh, we thank you that you are the provision for us. That we see that the Lord has provided a lamb who takes away all of our sins. Lord, we thank you for the bread and the cup. We thank you for your body and your blood. And we ask now that we would once again, as we rehearse the truth of the gospel in tangible, visible, tasteable ways, Lord, that we would remember your provision. That we would remember that all of our sins have once and for all been removed from us as far as the east is from the west. That we would glory in your death and resurrection. And Lord, that we would truly be nourished and strengthened so that we can go out into the world, Lord, and face trials and in the midst of them, trust you, obey you, and know that you will provide. Lord, I pray that you would take these elements, this bread and, and juice, and they're going to stay bread and juice as we take them into our bodies, but I ask that you would bless them and set them apart for a holy purpose. Lord, that they would be to us spiritually, the body and blood of Christ, that we would truly feed on him, to be nourished and strengthened and encouraged for the road ahead. Lord, we love you, and we thank you that you do prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. We ask that here at this table, you would meet us and feed us. And we ask humbly and expectantly in the name of Jesus, amen. Well, this table is not Back Creek Church's table. It's not a Presbyterian table. This is the Lord's table. And so if you have confessed publicly with your mouth that Jesus Christ
you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then his invitation to you is to come to this table and to partake with us in the communion of the saints. Again, if you are not a believer yet, uh, then, then our ask would be that you not partake of the supper, but please, today, take the Savior. This is the moment of favor. This is the day of salvation. To all who are his, come and feast. On the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks for it, as we did just a moment ago, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The body of Christ for you. In the same manner, after the supper, the Lord Jesus took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for many for the remission of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And the Apostle Paul tells us that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The blood of Christ for you. We ordinarily refer to, uh, to this covenant meal as the Lord's Supper, but many of our brothers and sisters in other traditions uh, refer to this most as the Eucharist. It comes from uh, the Greek word for thanksgiving. Let's express our thanksgiving to God for his great gift. Oh Lord, thank you. Thank you for this table. We rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ, our lamb, our Passover lamb who has forever taken the penalty that we deserved and given to us his righteousness that we might be redeemed, who fills us up with every good thing, who as our shepherd leads us beside still waters and leads us to lay down in green pastures, who restores our soul. Lord, we thank you for the power of this sacrament, the grace that is present, Lord, as we come and partake by faith. And we thank you that it is in this sacrament that you promise to to nourish your people to strengthen us to feed us on and with christ and lord i just pray that even now you would fill us up with your grace lord prepare us for the moment of testing and trial lord that you will provide in your time when we need them Lord, provide for us in those moments of faith to know that if you have provided for us in this then you will provide for us in everything and we thank you for your provision. In the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Let's stand together and respond to God's word and sacrament once more in song.